Hi, this is Nick Forster. This week in E-Town, we're going to revisit one of our favorite shows, and it starts right now. Live from E-Town Hall in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, it's E-Town with this week's guest from Los Angeles, California, Ray Saracosa, Achievement Award winner Brian Ware, and from Nashville, Tennessee, William Fitzsimmons. I'm Helen Forrester. Right now, join me in welcoming our host, Nick Forrester. Thank you, Helen. Thanks, everybody. Welcome to E-Town Hall. Um, we meet again. And again, this week, we've got two uh, musical guests and an outstanding award winner. Um, this week, you may have to lean in a little bit and listen closely. We've got some uh, songwriters who write very personal songs, so much so that the songs really affect their lives and uh, their actions and their careers in ways that aren't typical, I don't think, for uh, a lot of artists. They literally cannot sing a song, these two, that doesn't ring true for them. So no matter how many people want them to, that's the kind of artist we have this week. Our first guest has been here before. You may remember that William Fitzsimmons grew up in Pittsburgh and that both of his parents uh, were blind, that he got his master's in counseling. He was a mental health therapist before embarking on his career as a musician. He's now released, I think, his ninth record, something like that, of original material. His songs have been all over the television for many years, critical moments, dramatic moments in Shows like uh, Grey's Anatomy, Brothers and Sisters, and Private Practice, Life of Ryan, Teen Wolf, One Tree Hill, Army Wives. I'm unfamiliar with all of them, but I'm sure they're good shows. <laughs> and I'm sure his music contributed greatly to their success. Um, but the same deal, you know, his, these songs were chosen for those moments when these TV producers wanted their audience to lean in and pay attention. So he's got a new record. It was created in the aftermath of some personal upheaval and the shelving of another record that was already completed. But he's here with his friend Adam Landry. Please welcome back to E-Town, William Fitzsimmons. I'm not 
Beautiful 
Such a beautiful sound. Thanks, Nick. Congratulations. Thanks. Good to see you again. Good to see you again, man. Yeah. I was thinking about that just songwriters who were um, so connected to their lyrics, and of course being a songwriter who's also both candid and kind of confessional, that you share everything. Yeah, probably too much. Uh, <laughs> no, I, li I like the idea of um, using experience uh, as the grist for what you're going to do. That's my strength, I think. Well, that's what the people say. You should write about what you know. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, some people are really talented at, at finding stories of other people and expressing those in, in really beautiful ways. Springsteen comes mm -hmm. to mind. That's a great example of someone that can write from the perspective of someone else. I am way too self-centered. To, <laughs> I really, no, I really, for better or for worse, um, I like the idea of being self-reflective and then starting at that point yeah. and then, um, uh, you know, hopefully somebody else can connect with what you're trying to say. Right. Do you think that comes from you having been trained as a mental health professional, that your own inner world is interesting enough because you've studied it? Uh, that's probably a big part of it. Although, I mean, the reason why I wasn't a, a, a great therapist is because I was too concerned with my own. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I got bored. I would get like, I would like, God, why, like, stop talking about your problems. <laughs> That's not a great uh, sign of a great therapist. Yes. You, you tell me. I yeah. don't know. I, I mean, there probably, <laughs> there probably is some tough love, you know, circumstance in which that yeah, yeah. somebody would pay to have somebody go tell them to shut up. Yeah. But that's and that's yeah. yeah that's essentially what I was doing. Yeah. But this is, I mean, this is better because I just get to talk the whole time. So that's nice. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> So your songwriting is therapeutic, and in some ways your shows are too. Yeah, I think so. It's more of a commitment than just being entertained. You know, you're, right. you have to go inside these emotions that can sometimes be unpleasant. Yeah. yeah. You know, I should mention that you made a record, and I know you're a painstaking uh, producer and engineer and, and songwriter and craftsman. Yeah. So to make an entire record and then shelve it um, is a profound commitment. Sure. And a sign of... Um, that thing where you can't sing songs that don't ring true, I suspect. Yes, that's a very good way to put it. If I can share the story behind that briefly. Yeah. It's not a fun story, but neither's the music, so that's, <laughs> it's fine. But no, I was working on this record that you just mentioned, and it was going pretty well, you know. Uh, I'd built a home studio, working on it with a longtime bandmate and a friend or so I thought, and um, I'll just rip the band-aid on it. Um, once we finished, I found out that um, he and my wife had actually been having a relationship during the time that we were making the record. So yeah, no, I know, it was kind of a bummer. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> thanks. Um, yeah. <laughs> but to me, it wasn't even a, I didn't even think about it. It was like, right. I will never ever be able to play those songs for myself or for other right. people. So it wasn't a decision of artistic integrity, it was just like, personal survival, you know. Right. Um, 
But I ended up being connected with um, uh, the producer, Adam Landry, who is uh, playing with me tonight. And um, in many ways, that was a very healing experience, more than I've ever had in uh, making the record and um, kind of starting from scratch. Did you write some angry songs? There's anger in them, but my I don't love yeah. anger as an emotion in music. I think it's a secondary emotion. Mm-hmm. And I like to find out what's underneath the, right. the anger. And invariably, there's usually some fear right. and some pain. You know? Yeah. There's the therapist speaking again. Sure, sure. And I can't help but notice the irony that um, for a guy who's had his music in so many of these television shows that are fundamentally not necessarily soap operas, but they're all about human drama and, sure. uh, and, and betrayal and relationships that the bandmate and the wife is sort of fits right into one of those scripts conceivably. Well, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, if, if I wasn't it's made for daytime television, yeah, if I wasn't yeah. involved in it, it would have, I would have sold that script to yeah. days of our lives or something <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Okay. I have to say, um, to change the subject, because Please. Lord knows we have to. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I don't, that's, no, no, no. I'm, I'll go as dark as you want to yeah. go, Nick. You know me, man. That's fine. <laughs> let's get into your stuff, Nick. Let's, let's. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, uh, last night I played a show with my band that I've been in for 41 years, and it was our, maybe our final show. It right. was like, um, yep. you know, Hot Rise played the last show last night so that's a thing it is so hard for me to not say how does that make you feel right now (laughs) except you remember that you actually don't really care (laughs) (laughs) that was good <laughs> so, so one of the things that, that is relevant to what I just said is that we had uh, a special guest with us last night, yeah. a blind fiddle player from Kentucky named Michael Cleveland, who's a great musician, a wonderful player. And it put me in mind of you growing up with your parents, both blind and both musical. Yes. And one of the things I was amazed by hanging around with Michael Cleveland is that his ear is just so tuned to everything. He hears everything, not just in the context of the songs, but he's absolutely spatially aware and, you know, he doesn't miss a thing. So I was trying to imagine as a teenager, could you get away with stuff because your parents were blind or did they have that superpower where they heard everything? No, it's a good question. There were moments when I did try, but I, I actually couldn't. They, they, it, it's a fascinating thing. Like uh, my mom to this day still, she knows when I'm in the room and there were times for various reasons that I'd be trying to be sneaky. And I don't know if it's that she could smell me or that she could, uh, I mean, quite literally sense the way that the air moves differently in a room when someone walks yeah. in, you know. Um, the funny thing is it's not a, a superpower, it's survival. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it comes from the fact that if my mom and dad didn't learn how to use their ears, they were going to get hit by a car or they were, you know what I mean? There was something yeah. that was likely going to happen. Yeah. And the way that translated into their love of music, uh, that's exactly why I'm here today. Yeah. Just to put it in perspective, we should note that your dad, um, you had a full pipe organ yeah. in your house yeah. that your blind dad built. Yeah. yeah. So these are not people who face limitations easily. No, no, they didn't. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing, too. It's one of those, you know, I, they, that card was used Although growing up too, where it was like, oh, you don't feel like going to school today. Yeah. You know, guess what? 
I haven't seen in 50 years. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. No wonder you at least approached therapy as a career. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tried. Yeah. I tried. Some, some stuff to work out there, William. Well, listen. Um, I'm so happy that you've, uh, you've found songwriting and music as a pathway and that you've shared. And the reality is everybody has stuff. Absolutely. And to write a personal song that touches on someone else's human experience in such a way so that it becomes personal for them, that's the home run. That's a great achievement. Cheers, man. Thank yeah. you. Well, let's get back to music. Welcome back, yeah. if you would, William Fitzsimmons. Here's a happy one. You can 
take my words and my songs, but leave her. That's William Fitzsimmons. The record is called Mission Bell, out on Network Records, along with Adam Landry on guitar. William Fitzsimmons will be back to play some more music later on in the show. Your visit to E-Town is made possible in part by the Scientific and Cultural Facilities District, or SCFD, one of the largest cultural funding mechanisms in the United States, supporting nearly 300 organizations in the greater Denver area. As a reminder, for your viewing pleasure, there are over 2,000 videos on the E-Town YouTube channel, where you can also subscribe in order to stay up to date with our latest offerings. And if you're curious about E-Town's home base, E-Town Hall, our beautiful solar-powered music venue, community center, and recording studio located in downtown Boulder, Colorado, you can learn more about it on our website, etown.org. You're listening to E-Town. I'm Nick Forster. You're listening to E-Town. William Fitzsimmons is going to be back later on in the show. And coming up, we've got a great young singer-songwriter. Ray Zaragoza is here. And um, before we bring her out, though, uh, we want to introduce you to somebody that we got to know with the help of one of our listeners. We get to do this every week. There are people all over the place who look around and they notice uh, an opportunity to make something better or different in some way that's going to help other people. And they actually take the time to start things that, that um, you know, make things, make things better. It's just to, they take the step, they take the uh, initiative to, to do something on behalf of these problems. So it's cool, we think these problems are, um, you know, too big or, or in one way or another, we can't make a difference, but these people prove to us uh, that you can. So every week we get to recognize somebody's doing that, we give them the achievement award, and here comes Helen Forster to tell you about this week's winner. Thank you, Nick. You know how when you go out to a restaurant, they'll often put crayons on your table for your kids, or you for that matter, to occupy your time while you're waiting for your food? Well, this week's winner, Brian Ware of Danville, California, was dining out with his family on his birthday a few years back. He and his wife, who's a teacher, were discussing recent budget cuts to art programs, which uh, greatly um, dismayed him because art had been such an important thing to him throughout school. Now, Brian noticed the pack of crayons on their table, and that led to a conversation with a waitress. And that conversation revealed that each pack of crayons were being thrown out after just one use. Now, that seemed terribly wasteful to Brian, so he did a little digging, and he discovered that that's a pretty typical occurrence. He wanted to find a way to recycle those discarded crayons. So, using his background in packaging and design, he created a system to repurpose, repackage, and distribute them to kids in hospitals who are dealing with illness or injury. And he's keeping waste out of the landfill, and he's been helping in the healing process of tons of kids ever since. And Brian is here with us, and he's going to tell us more, so please 
please welcome this week's Achievement Award winner, Brian Ware of Danville, California. Hey, Brian, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for being here. No problem. Thanks for having me. Helen said that many restaurants choose to toss these crayons out after one use. Why do you think that is? Is that a health department thing? Or? It's actually more of a legal thing. If a kid got sick from a crayon that had salmonella or, you know, your kid wipes their nose and then puts it down and uh, gets reused, yeah. it's just easier than a lawsuit. That seems daunting, but you had this aha moment. You're out to celebrate your birthday with your family and you figured there must be a way. What's the first thing you did? Uh, my background supply chain and packaging, so it's one of those, yeah. ooh, free materials, what can we do with it? So went home, didn't sleep that night, woke up about four in the morning, started investigating if anybody did this, because I got to believe somebody did and nobody did. So we started to figure out how to do it. Yeah, that's wild. So there's a physical process for repurposing and redistributing them. And then there's the question about where to send them. What led you to give them to kids who are ill or in the hospital? Uh, we had a connection with a child life specialist at UCSF uh, Children's Hospital. And the more that I researched hospitals, the way that their budgets work, they don't get a budget from the hospital because they can't bill. And they actually make it as normal as possible for the child. So it's a pretty important role. And I learned that talking to one hospital, two hospitals, three hospitals, they gave the exact same story. Huh. So that it was a good fit for us to then donate to. Yeah, and they had the ability to disseminate them inside the hospital. Once they had the materials, they could spread them or share Correct. them. Yeah, and they use crayons today, but it's one of those things that for them, because there is no budget, they would buy the bulk pack, so a kid would get one, two, three crayons, all random colors without getting a full pack. Our crayons have eight colors in it that they could make fairies and princesses and superheroes with the, getting the whole pack of crayons. So hospitals were very excited to receive yeah. our crayons. So it's funny because on the one hand, this seems kind of light uh, as a story. But when you're talking about kids in the hospital, kids who are going through illness or injury, I, I bet there is some at least anecdotal evidence that supports the fact that these things are making a difference in these kids' lives. They are. And it, I mean, you think about the crayons uh, from a light side of it, but at the end of the day, the kids aren't going through something that's light and they need an escape from that. Right. Um, I have pictures up on our wall in our shop of five kids and two have passed and the parents have written me after the fact saying, thank you, this is the last time I saw my child smile. Wow. So that's wow. kind of our drive and why we keep doing it. Um, wow. It's pretty heavy sometimes. Yeah. How did your design and packaging and supply chain expertise fit into this whole picture? Basically starting with the crayon itself. I mean, I designed a three-dimensional model of a crayon and had kids hold it, worked with an occupational therapist. We made it skinnier and longer and fatter and shorter and all these different things until the kids felt comfortable holding that crayon. Right. I'm a little nervous about this question. Do we want to know what crayons are made out of? It's paraffin wax, um, petroleum-based. Okay. So that's yeah. part of the problem is they okay. don't biodegrade in a landfill. So yeah. every time there's one going to the landfill, it just sits there and 100 years from now, it'll still be a crayon. Wild. Um, is it hard for the restaurants to harvest the used crayons and then get them into your hands? How does that work? They contact us. We have actually full programs for restaurants, schools, scouts, et cetera, on how to collect them, how to yeah. ship them to us. Um, we try to make it as easy for them as possible. Mm -hmm. Do you have some volunteers to help you do this? Just locally, we have about 2,500 volunteers. Wow. In the Bay Area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Consistently helping us manufacture and pack the crayons 
And then if you multiply out all the different schools and ambassadors that we have around the country, we're well over 2 million volunteers. Amazing. And um, are you a volunteer? How much time do you spend doing this? <laughs> I am a volunteer. I work about 60 hours a week on it. Wow. And it's growing. It's growing drastically, yeah. yeah. And um, other than the stories that you hear back from a parent or something, do you hear from the healthcare professionals too, the doctors, that this is a system that's really enhancing the, the well-being of their patients? Absolutely. That's so cool. So um, when did you start all this? We got our 501c3 in 2014, and our first donations out to a hospital was in February of 2015. Yeah, and how many kids do you think you've helped or you know, provided crayons for since you started? Uh, over 200,000. 200,000. Yeah, last year alone. Thank you. That's so wild. Yeah. You ask about growth since 2015, four years. We went from 5,000 to 10,000 to 37 to 153,000 kids last year. And that's also a lot of crayons that you're keeping out of the landfill, right? Yeah, we've collected over 30 million crayons. <laughs> it's about 230,000 pounds of crayons. Wild. Wild, all just because your, your wife's an art teacher and you're sitting there going, what happens to these? What happens to these? Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> what an incredible impact. It's amazing. Well, Brian, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks for doing the work you're doing and congratulations on winning this week's Achievement Award. Before I let you go, if people want to see pictures or want to lend a hand or become volunteers or a website or something. Absolutely. Can... Check out our website, thecrayoninitiative.org. Crayoninitiative.org. You okay. got it. Congratulations, Brian. Thank That's you very Brian much. Ware. Crayon Initiative founder, chief volunteer. Thank you. Packaging engineer. It's a great story. Wow, what a great story. You know, Brian told me backstage that one health care person said that, in their opinion, those crayons and the creativity and the relief from anxiety and worry and, and, and fear that those kids get is as important as the medication that they're given. So it's a powerful impact to be sure. If you just joined us and you missed part of this interview, you can find that on our website, etown.org. Also, if you're inspired to do so, you can nominate someone. Maybe it's someone you've read about or you might even know someone personally who's working hard to improve the lives of others or even the planet in some way. That can be done. A nomination can be made on our website as well. Um, or, of course, you can always write us the old-fashioned way at Box 954, Boulder, Colorado, 80306. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you, Brian. Congratulations, Crayon Initiative. Uh, we've got more music coming up from William Fitzsimmons in just a little while. Right now, I want to tell you about our next guest, Ray Zaragoza is kind of an every woman singer-songwriter uh, with a beautiful voice. She's, um, you know, she's making music on behalf of the things she cares about, whether that's a saner and safer and more sustainable world or things that are more personal, but she is uh, certainly up to the task. She grew up in Greenwich Village in New York City. She writes songs about, uh, sometimes love songs, but sometimes protest songs, sometimes reflecting her um, heritage, which is Native American, Mexican, Taiwanese, and Japanese. She's written some songs about the protest against the Dakota Access Pipeline in North Dakota. She's gotten a lot of attention along the way. She's also won a uh, Global Music Award. She's here for her first visit. Please help me welcome to E-Town, Ray Saragosa.
Uh, Nick, Helen, and the Etones are going to be playing with me. So welcome them to the stage. <laughs> Thank you. 
What a cool band. Wow. Wow, my gosh. I usually play solo, and this is just such a treat. Ray Zaragoza, welcome to E-Town. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, you grew up in Greenwich Village. Did I yeah. read somewhere that your dad was in theater or something? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, my dad, when I was a kid, was he played Chief Sitting Bull in Annie Get Your Gun, if you've ever seen it. And um, even though we were family, we, weren't, we didn't get free tickets. So, <laughs> but my parents didn't believe in babysitters, so I had to sit backstage every single night for a year wow. while the show was happening. And so me and my sister in our pajamas almost every night snuck in and saw the second act. So I've seen the second act of that musical like 300 times. Wild. <laughs> Wild. How old were you and your sister when you're out there knocking around in your pajamas backstage? I was five. You are five, yeah. Yeah, and she was eight. Yeah. Yeah. That's really uh, when I decided I wanted to be a performer in one shape or form was, you know, five years old and seeing the second act of that show. Oh, over that's over. cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. So um, your mom is an immigrant from Asia and your dad's indigenous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned earlier that you're Taiwanese, Japanese, all these things coursing through your veins. When you went to school, did your classmates think of you as being the same or different? Mm -hmm. You know, it um, was interesting as I think there was a time in my teenage years where I kind of woke up and realized that some of the bullying that I experienced when I was a kid could have been racially charged. I think at the time I just thought that there was something wrong, that I did something wrong or that there was something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. um, but I wasn't the only one who uh, endured it. I know there were other kids too. Mm -hmm. But when I was a kid, it didn't clock to me that that was a racial thing. To me, I just right. thought that they didn't like us and there was something wrong with us. Right. Um, I just want to quickly mention that you um, have written songs about your experience going to Standing Rock. Mm -hmm. What precipitated that visit? What led you there? Why did you go there? I mean, it sounds crazy, but it was really a calling. You know, I felt as soon as uh, my friends who live up in North Dakota were telling me about it, I, I just couldn't sleep for days, for weeks, for months. Um, all I could do was write songs about it. And then I eventually went yeah. and um, it was life changing, um, especially, you know, living in, having grown up in New York and having such a, a mixed racial background and I mean, the Greenwich Village I grew up in is no longer there. All the mom and pop shops that I grew up with are gone. Everything is gone. And so I've never really felt like I had a hometown. And being from so many different uh, racial backgrounds, there's not really one place I go to that I feel is mine, that I feel is my people. Right. And the girls that I w was with shared the same sentiment. And um, as soon as we drove in, we both all started crying and felt like we had come home. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. I mean, the silver lining is that it really bubbled to the surface so many people that really do want to make mm. change. And we've built this community from Standing Rock um, and everyone's gone off on their own and is making change on their own and, and taking on their own personal um, causes and yeah. all over the country, all over the world. And uh, I think it really woke up a lot of young people for sure, uh, me being one of them. Yeah, it's a choice, right? It's a choice, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, listen, we've got more music to get to. Thanks for being here. Welcome Oof. back. Ray Zaragoza. So um, we talked a bit about Standing Rock and, and, and going up there. And so this next song is called Driving to Standing Rock. And it's literally about the drive.
One more song for you. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Ray Saragossa. Thank you, E-Town, for having me. Thank you, Nick Helen and the E-Tones. This song is called Fight For You. Save the river, save the seas, save the mother and her face. How can you take what you want and say that we are free? If you put oil in the water, we won't sit quietly. And we were singing, stand up, stand up for what's right. 
Now living in L.A. Along with the E-Tones, Chris Engelman, Ron Jolly, Christian Teal, and Helen Forster. Her record is called Fight For You. This portion of E-Town is made possible by the Bohemian Foundation, building stronger communities through the Bohemian qualities of creativity and imagination. On the web at bohemianfoundation.org. And by our diverse family of NPR affiliates and community stations, plus college and commercial stations, as well as our international stations and podcast subscribers worldwide. Thank you for your continued support. You're listening to E-Town. Nick Forster. I'd like to say hello to our listeners who are hearing E-Town on stations like KDRT in Davis, California, and on WVRU in Radford, Virginia, and on KEOS in Bryan, Texas. As always, if you'd like some more information about any of the things we're up to here at E-Town, there's lots of stuff online at etown.org. Um, Ray was talking about her ancestry, about her Asian immigrant mom and her indigenous dad. And it's funny, I mean, I think it's worth just talking a little bit about this conundrum we have now where uh, ancestry is kind of cool. It's kind of the rage these days for people to find out about their cultural heritage and 
everyone's learning about their roots in these far-flung countries around the world. And then there's this anti-immigrant rant. So just a few facts before we get back to music. This is from the Brookings Institution. 80% of immigrants 100 years ago came from Europe. Now 80% of immigrants come from Asia and Latin America. 75% of the foreign-born population in the United States are naturalized U.S. citizens or legal residents. And immigration in the U.S. does not increase crime rates. So this is from the Brookings Institution. I just thought I'd put it out there. You can process it any way you want, but uh, we're all immigrants at the end of the day. We got a lot in common. So with that in mind, would you please welcome back the very talented Mr. William Fitzsimmons. Would you guys uh, help me welcome Nick Helen and the band back out, please?
That's William Fitzsimmons. Along with Adam Landry. We've got time for one more. And um, I want to thank everybody for being on the show this week. I want to thank all our guests. Um, thanks to Ray Saragosa coming from Los Angeles, although she grew up in New York. Thanks for joining us this week. Thanks to our award winner, Mr. Brian Ware, taking uh, crayons, keeping them from the landfill and making sure they're repurposed and shared with people, uh, especially kids in need in hospitals. Thanks again to William Fitzsimmons and Adam Landry for joining us here at E-Town this week. We found, a, uh, we found a fitting finale, and we never know what these are going to be until just before showtime when we get the two guest artists to talk about songs they like, and they found a good one. I'm Nick Forster. Hope you can be with us next week right here in E-Town. Produced by a donor-supported nonprofit organization and recorded live at E-Town Hall. To comment about the show, make an award nomination, or get tickets to a live taping, send an email to info at etown.org or visit our website at etown.org. Some say life will beat you down. It'll break your heart.
made possible by our family of sponsors, this station, and listeners like you. Ray Saragosa, Adam Landry, William Fitzsimmons, E. Tones, and Helen. Thanks so much to all of you. We'll see you soon. This is a production of E Town. There you have it, William Fitzsimmons, Ray Saragosa, and the Crayon Initiative Recycled Crayons for Kids. More good stuff. Coming to you from here at E-Town. I'm Nick Forster. Thanks for listening.